I believe that it will become possible in the next 50 or 100 years to control the weather and climate artificially. Tomorrow, the sky won't be a deep blue anymore. There will be more and more serious clouds. The contrails from airplanes will also become longer, and this indicates that warmer air is coming in from high altitudes. This is about how we engineer the planet. It's about the fact, an uncomfortable fact, but it is a fact, that we have the technical ability to do this. That's me. After six years of work on this film, over 40 interviews in 10 different countries, and thousands of hours in front of the computer, it all began in 2008, after I realized that increasingly jet trails are extensively covering the sky and the sun. This was new to me, and I had the feeling that something is wrong. Contrails form everywhere, where planes fly. And when a contrail was formed, it is moved sideways by the wind. First, they are very small, until they get wider. And sometimes there are situations where a big part of the sky is almost fully covered with contrails. Well, here we see how man-made cloud cover is being produced, which influences the climate. Welcome back to episode 35 of the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. Today on the podcast, uh, we're going to have the audio of a movie titled Overcast. And it's about chemtrails in our skies today. It looks, uh, I just came across this movie on YouTube and I felt, you know, we need to share this and get this information out there to everyone. Because this is the reality of the situation we're living in. And before it was just woo-woo and, you know, conspiracy theory and tinfoil hat thinking if you were like, oh, chemtrails, what are you, crazy? But give a listen to this movie. I have to give them all the credit. Uh, the title of the movie is Overcast. I just want to, I have to share this. It's won a lot of awards and the website, I'm going to put a link, but it's um, overcast dash the dash movie or overcast hyphen the hyphen movie.com i'll put put it all in the um in the show notes and i highly re i highly recommend you donate to them or order the dvd it's out there for free you know you can watch it but you should really um you know support you know the producers of this movie because it's it's really informative and and, and the man put a lot of years of work into this um so yeah, this is this is what's happening to us right now, and uh, we really need to be aware of this. I'm gonna. This is just the audio. I ha again, you can go on YouTube, watch it for free. Just type in Chemtrails or Overcast, and it will come out, pop up. It's on Vimeo. You can order the DVD. You can go to the website, 
give him all the credit. Uh, give him a good listen. Support the man. And uh, yeah, the, my my intention on this is to get the information out and support his hard work. So uh, let's get into it, man. In the internet, I read that these trails are not contrails, but chemtrails. Trails of toxic chemicals, such as aluminum, barium, and strontium. Whoever is doing this should uh, be um, charged with a criminal uh, act. Uh, this could kill thousands, if not millions of people. So the question being asked is, is the government spraying toxic chemicals into the skies all over the world to stop global warming? Well, they say the government is dumping chemicals on us to control or manipulate the weather. And These are literally crimes against uh, uh, humanity. In different directions that causes this crisscross pattern in the sky. Are they passenger planes? Are they military planes or commercial flights that are leaving the trails? We don't know. It produces a cirrus, which finally blocks out a small part of the sunlight. This poison. This is murder. This former FBI chief says a world government is behind the spray. The reason, according to Ted Gunderson... They spray, and to make another round, they fly over our territory and continue to spray. Today again, there were contrails in the sky. And there are more and more people who believe that the U.S. is poisoning us, which is such a wild conspiracy. What? I hear a lot, but I have never heard about that. It is a wild conspiracy theory. Have a look. They call it chemtrails. It's complete nonsense. Chemtrails go from horizon to horizon, and they spread, and they crisscross, and they go next to one another, and pretty soon the whole sky is cloudy. And we don't know who's doing it. We don't know what it is they're putting into the sky. We think it's aluminum, borium, and strontium, but we don't know for sure. No one talks. They can't do that in the sky above us without the provincial and the federal government being aware. I believe this hearing marks the first time that a congressional committee has undertaken a serious review of proposals for climate engineering. That is not surprising because this is a very complex, controversial subject that has had little formal debate in the United States. Geoengineering carries with it a tremendous range of uncertainties, ethical and political concerns, and the potential for catastrophic environmental side effects. But we're faced with the stark reality that the climate is changing, and therefore, we should accept the possibility that certain climate engineering proposals may merit consideration. Solar radiation management methods, which you could also call sunlight reflection methods, seek to reduce the amount of climate change by reflecting some of the sun's warming rays back to space. Preliminary research suggests that we could rapidly and relatively cheaply put tiny particles high in the stratosphere and that this would cause the Earth to cool quickly. We could start doing it with airplanes and then figure out cheaper ways to do it down the road, but the actual cost of doing it, it, will, it will probably be you know, a few billion dollars at most, which is tiny compared to the size of the U.S. budget. Wow. To save the climate with pollution? 
You have to first come up with this idea. But for chemtrail activists, this is not an idea anymore, but already a reality. My name is Dietrich Klinghardt. I am a doctor. I studied in Freiburg and wrote my dissertation on the autonomous nervous system. My main activity in the U.S., for what I am known, is my clinic that is specialized for detoxification. People from all over the world come to us with chronic diseases, and we have found that the fallout from the chemtrails is the most significant reason for the poisoning of the people and leads to a whole set of chronic diseases, like autism and learning difficulties with kids and with adults, the whole diseases of the nervous system, MS, ALS, Parkinson's, neuropathies, and all the degenerative diseases of the brain. The fact that the aluminum content in our nervous system has increased exponentially in the last years cannot be explained by the deodorant theory or the aluminum pots theory anymore, but can only be explained by the chemtrails. If I showed my face, I could get in trouble. Because I don't know how far my airline is involved in this phenomenon. Officially, there is no duty to maintain secrecy, but we have actually something like a code saying that you don't talk about the things you see during a flight. It was on a summer morning in Scandinavia. We started with the nicest weather towards South Europe and back. The sky over Scandinavia was absolutely blue. And after takeoff towards west, we could see a big grid over the sea. And this grid was definitely not of natural origin. The wind direction was chosen the way that this grid would automatically, I suppose within two or three hours, have reached the town where we took off. And around this grid, everything was blue. It even attracted my colleague's attention, who asked himself, what's that? But then said, well, maybe some military experiments. I know that this is an issue for many years, even for centuries. And you see pictures from time to time. When I look at these pictures, I see normal contrails in the sky, which we see over and over in Switzerland. I remember there are many people who frequently see UFOs, although there hasn't been proof yet. And all the pictures I have seen from UFOs, I have to say, they remind me very much of a natural cloud formation, which I have already seen. And mostly, well, every time, it turns out to be a natural phenomenon which is nice to look at, but finally is nothing more than nature. With this plane, the C-17 Globemaster, we could definitely see that substances were dispersed, that it sprayed. We figured that out while flying by, that close to the jet engines. Substances were brought out. And from this moment on, 
it was totally clear to me that the spraying is going on on a large scale. Are we really being sprayed? One thing is for sure. Just by looking up in the sky, I won't find a convincing answer. Are we going to wait? Yeah, let's go. We went to meet Henry Schurch, a pioneer in skydiving, founder from Swiss Boogie, and specialized in high-altitude flights. Henry Schurch, Swiss Boogie. Mr. Honka, welcome. How are you doing? Fine, and you? Do you want to see the plane? Yes, very much. Here's the plane. Pilotus Porter, PC-6. It goes up to 10,000 meters without any problems. But I would say we will go up to 7,600 meters to have the trails you are looking for. Hopefully. Then can we start to work? You can start to install everything. And when you are done, we can start to test. Fantastic. Thanks, Mr. Schurch. You are welcome. In the last six weeks, our Facebook group, which is called Chemtrails Global Skywatch, has been attacked by trolls and shills. And in case you don't know what a shill is, a shill is a person who is hired by, usually by a government or a government contractor, to go online and create fake Facebook accounts, fake blogs and websites, and spread disinformation. And they talk about chemtrails and geoengineering being a conspiracy theory and having no truth behind it. That is a disinformation website spreading lies. My name's Mick West. I'm 46 years old and I live in Venice, California. I'm a debunker. The chemtrail people seem to think that I'm some kind of government disinformation agent so that I'm being paid to do this. But really, I'm just, uh, I'm just doing it because it's a hobby of mine. I started out just because I was interested in, uh, in contrails. Uh, I'm actually uh, retired. Uh, I made a reasonable amount of money in the video game industry. I, I part-owned a company called Neversoft, and we did the Tony Hawk series of video games. So we did very well there. And so I retired uh, quite a few years ago, and I've just been having a lot of spare time since then. So... I don't need the government to pay me. I'm just doing it because it's, I find it fun and interesting. But I think it's becoming increasingly important to uh, show that conspiracy theories are incorrect because they're getting in the way of dealing with real problems. There's real problems with, with climate change and pollution that people aren't, uh, aren't addressing them because they think the chemtrails are, uh, are happening. And so it, it distracts away from real problems. So I think if I can... Uh, show that chemtrails are not real, it will help more people move on and actually address these other problems. People think that the trails that they see in the sky are, are not normal contrails and they are uh, chemtrails. But really, when you get down to it, there's no real evidence that they're anything other than normal, persistent contrails. And there's no real evidence that they've changed over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Like this book here is from 1980, and it tells you that contrails can persist for hours. There's older books from 1970 and 1960. They'll tell you the same thing. So I want people to look at things that are real and stop wasting time 
with things that are not real. Higher and higher into the lightless stratosphere until the exhaust of the engines mixing with the cold, thin air condenses and streams the heavens with paper trails. Contrails have been doing exactly the same thing since, since the 70s and before, and it wasn't at all unfamiliar back in the 70s. For example, in uh, 1971, there was a congressional hearing on uh, a new type of jet plane, and people's concerns were that it might increase contrail cover. And somebody at the hearing said, uh, Jeffrey, uh, Godfrey, said he'd seen on hunting trips to the Colorado Rocky Mountains blue skies clouded over by jet contrails by 9.30 in the morning. And this was in 1971. However, someone else on the committee, a Senator Allett, said he'd lived in Colorado all his life without ever seeing jet contrails form clouds. So it just shows that there's this completely different perception depending on whether you're actually paying attention or not. Given the correct atmospheric condition, jet aircraft in high frequency can almost completely cover the atmosphere, visible atmosphere with clouds. So this shows that contrails have been doing exactly the same thing since, since the 70s and before. And there's no real evidence that they've changed over the last 20, 30, 40 years. All that's happened is there's a lot more of them now because, for a variety of reasons, but mostly because there's more traffic. Flight traffic doubled in the last 15 years. Every second a plane takes off somewhere in the world. 11,500 liters of jet fuel is consumed by worldwide aviation per second. And in 20 years, flight traffic is expected to double again. So what you see here in March 2009 is a spiral contrail that's been made by an AWACS aircraft over here in the North Sea. This is entirely man-made cloud covers that covers a great part of the, the UK. We have the first experimental indication that we can really prove that flight traffic changes the serious cloud cover measurably. 2011, I read in the biggest Swiss newspaper, contrails are real climate killers. A study from the German Aerospace Center found out that man-made cloud cover by flight traffic has a bigger impact on global warming in one single year than all of the CO2 emitted since the beginning of aviation. Despite the double impact of flight traffic on our climate, flight traffic is not regulated globally in any climate treaty. Neither the CO2 emissions nor the man-made clouds by flight traffic. With the contrails, it is obvious. At the moment, flight traffic is just organized in a way that it produces a maximum of contrails. 
higher altitude as well as lower altitude flights reduces the formation of contrails in both directions. One purpose of our research is to develop methods to control flight traffic in a way to minimize its current climate impact. And the idea is to avoid the formation of contrails. Therefore, you need to predict them. And for that reason, we developed a method. The method uses weather forecasts, general weather forecasts. And in these forecasts, it is calculated for the given flight traffic, for single flights, how contrails form. There are times and places on Earth where contrails cool. If you fly specifically where contrails cool, you cool the earth. If at the same time you avoid flights where they warm, then you also cool. That's not geoengineering, since we don't want to solve the whole climate problem with flight traffic. But with changes in flight traffic, we want to reduce its climate effect. That's a different ethical situation. We don't change the world, but flight traffic. Not all planes which are flying form contrails. About 20 to 25 percent of the flights form contrails, and just 20 percent of them become persistent, depending on the surrounding relative humidity. Of course, the amount of ice particles depends on how much ice nuclei were emitted from the exhaust. Therefore, soot is also playing a role. The little soot particles form ice nuclei. Therefore, thermodynamics and water are important, as well as the composition of the exhaust fumes, but not specifically the chemistry. If you look closely, you can see that the contrail, this particular contrail right here, initially formed, but it's very thin. Well, you had very, uh, very thick in these, this part here. Well, see, it didn't last very long there. It dissipated immediately because that air was sinking. So it temporarily reached that uh, saturation point, And as the air sank, It dried out, it got a little bit warmer, and it was no longer saturated, and the particles evaporated and did not grow. And that's why we don't see the line. And that's why you don't see the line. There's really no magic. Uh, nobody's pressing a sprayer and turning things on and off. It's just uh, nature's way of telling us uh, that the air is sinking up there, or it's drier. So it's really based on a misunderstanding of what contrails are. People think that contrails disappear quickly, but really it depends upon the atmospheric conditions, and people just aren't aware of that. They just haven't paid attention to it before, and now they do, and they find something suspicious. But really, if you look into it, there isn't really anything there. My name is Clifford Carnicum, and I'm acting as an independent researcher in this work. I worked 15 years for the federal government in three different agencies and technical fields, including Department of Defense, Field College Odyssey, which is gravitational modeling, and also a work in computers, sole proprietorship. And for the last 15 years of my life, I basically am an independent researcher acting in the public interest. This is why I'm doing the work. It's At one level, it's no simpler than if you knew 
that you had pollution. If you want to take this on the simplest argument, of which there are much more deeper and complex arguments, but if you wanted to take it at the simplest level possible and ask yourself, is it all right for you to have the uh, deliberate and systematic introduction of massive amounts of pollution into your atmosphere without your consent and without proper disclosure? Is that acceptable to you? Is that acceptable to your children? John Brandt. Good morning, Mr. Brandt. Wow, my uh, this is Amanda. From oh, Virginia. hi, how are you? Hi, I've been trying to get a hold of you for months now. You guys are covering up chemtrails. No, we are not covering up. We have we have no reason to cover up chemtrails. Of course you have every reason to cover it up. Every reason. It's called what losing your job. What reason would that be? Oh, well, you personally, I'm. Uh, you would lose your job if you were to, to reveal anything to me. And it's probably unsafe for you to even be speaking about this. Considering no, the types of individuals you work for. It's it's not unsafe. There's, it is unsafe. There's no, no problem with us talking on, you know, you're a citizen, you're making a complaint. Oh, a complaint Lord, in, have mercy on myself. It's a complaint in an area that, that we, don't, uh, we don't have authority to regulate. One of the main questions that we will face in dealing with this issue is whether or not there is full disclosure or not. Whether or not it is intended uh, that the public... Uh, receives the information on this subject. And, and the, the facts are that the public is, is not to receive the information openly. If you have a covert operation, a cover for that operation will be provided. That's, that's the nature of a covert operation. All of the evidence indicates that it is very much a covert operation of the greatest scale that has ever been exercised on this planet and really in the history of, of humanity as far as I know. The, literally the atmosphere of the planet has been altered and it's a deliberate alteration of the atmosphere. This is a global operation and it affects everybody and every living thing. So this is that important. There are arguments put forth that chemtrails or these man-made clouds are all normal due to the right atmospheric conditions, but this is not a reasonable argument. Uh, the fact is that the introduction of fine uh, chemicals or aerosols into the atmosphere have a profound effect on cloud formation. Unfortunately, this is not taken into consideration by scientists to explain the phenomenon that we are all witnessing. Can particles influence the formation of clouds? I went to Geneva to visit CERN, where scientists study how particles and radiation influence the formation of clouds. We assume that there are man-made effects influencing today's formation of clouds through humans' direct introduction of various particles into the atmosphere, and these particles then serving as condensation nuclei for the formation of clouds, which influence the climate, because the properties of clouds, how long they persist, and how much sunlight they reflect, that changes, depending on how much additional man-made aerosols are put into the air. The Soviet climatologist Mikhail Budiko 
had the idea of imitating what volcanoes do and putting sulfur particles in the stratosphere, and this was around 1974. Then uh, that was pretty much left on the table until the late 1980s when Edward Teller and his colleagues started introducing uh, various geoengineering ideas. Now, Edward Teller is known as the father of the hydrogen bomb and the, uh, one of the chief architects of the Star Wars missile defense system in the 1980s. I wanted to work on theoretical physics, not on weapons, until the day I heard President Roosevelt speak. And he said that if scientists in the free countries won't work on weapons. Freedom will not survive. And I had the irrational, strange, but powerful feeling that he was talking to me. That is when I made up my mind, and I have not changed it since. Teller said we'll never cooperate to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So he designed a whole bunch of sophisticated particles that could be put in the stratosphere or could block some sunlight. And he was looking at ways both to cool the earth and to warm the earth. And so this, uh, you know, and, and so this tradition of these geoengineering proposals coming out of the, the secretive, nefarious military-industrial complex has given, a, let's just say, a public relations challenge to these options. The chemtrail speculations are based on a patent from 1991 to reduce global warming. The particle seeding should be done at an altitude on the order of 10 kilometers. The particles may be seeded by dispersal from seeding aircraft. One technique may be via the jet fuel. Mechanically, it's not so complicated. Step up here and I'll show you. See this little trigger here? That's a part of the pen we write with. When the trigger is pulled back, it opens a valve which permits chemicals to shoot out into the exhaust pipe. The exhaust pipe, being just about red hot, heats up the chemicals and makes the smoke you see from the ground. In 1992, the National Academy of Sciences recommended various geoengineering methods to fight global warming. One proposed method to reflect sunlight was to maintain a cloud of dust in the lower stratosphere by the use of aircraft. In the 1990s, Edward Teller and his co-scientists were lobbying for the application of geoengineering. He argued that the cost for geoengineering would only constitute 1% of what greenhouse gas reduction would cost. In 2001, Edward Teller's geoengineering methods were mentioned in the IPCC World Climate Report. By reflecting 2% of the sunlight, we could emit twice as much CO2 till 2050. Five years later, Nobel Prize laureate Paul Crutzen reintroduced the old concept of saturating the stratosphere with sulfates in order to cool the planet. 
From then on, geoengineering was no longer a taboo in science. In 2009, the Royal Society published a report on geoengineering. The forward states that if CO2 reductions achieve too little too late, then there will surely be pressure to consider a Plan B to counteract the climate effects of greenhouse gas emissions by geoengineering. Already in the same year, in the scope of a field experiment, sulfate particles were officially placed in the atmosphere for the first time, but not by the U.S., but by the Russians, successfully. The experiment showed that the technology works. According to the German Federal Office of the Environment, further research projects for geoengineering are expected, even large-scale experiments. You ever look at those planes up there? They have contrails behind them. Maybe all those planes are the contrails. Maybe they're actually spraying chemicals into the atmosphere right now, and Uncle Sam isn't telling us. Seems extremely unlikely. The that fact the United the government... States is not telling something to its citizens, that seems extremely likely to me. Read the newspaper. I think they might have your idea already. Dr. Mister, thank you so much. David Keith, a case for climate engineering. Well, like I said before, it's, it's possible to do it. It's, it's not rocket science to spray something out of the back, back of the plane. It would be very unlikely that they would do it. Like, what reason do they have to do something if they don't know what they're doing and they don't know if it's going to work and they don't know what the side effects are going to be? There's no reason for them to be doing it secretly. Hi, Eve. Hello, Mathis. How are you? I'm fine. Great. You brought the filter holder and the filters, didn't you? Exactly. They are in here. Here we have the two filters. One is the blind sample, and the other is the one which the air will pass through. Okay, no air will pass through this filter? Correct. This will also go all the way up. It will be placed in the plane and be flown, but no air will be passing through it to see what is really in the air. The filters are already mounted in the lab. We place them in the holders. In between here, they are hermetically sealed. The air will be absorbed here. Great. Then we have to put it right here. Exactly. The tube is cold resistant down to minus 60 degrees. That shouldn't be a problem. Here's the pump that absorbs the air. And here is a flow meter that shows us exactly how large the air intake is. And here we have the energy supply since we don't have a 230 volt plug in the plane. So I can put the plug into the inverter and link it to the car batteries and then we'll be fine. Great. That looks good. Then I propose that we move the equipment aboard the plane. Raglan? This is the reception. Your guest is here. Thank you very much. I'll just come down. Thanks. She will come immediately. That's nice. Thank you. I'm Rebecca Reichlin, Swiss Federal Office for the Environment. My function is that of the information officer. 
On the subject of chemtrails, requests from citizens have been quite numerous in recent years. There has been a little more calm around the issue lately, but there were also some political advances a couple of years ago. It is certainly an issue. Hello, Mr. Hank. Hello, Mrs. Reichland. Well, I'm here because of these chemtrails, and I would like to know, is there any reason to be concerned? No, there is no reason for concern. This chemtrail theory is baseless. In Switzerland, random extensive dispersal of chemicals is forbidden. Furthermore, airspace is so strictly controlled that it wouldn't be possible to do it secretly, as many claim. Therefore, it is impossible. This theory has no foundation. And are there any scientific studies to which you could refer me? No, there are no scientific studies on the subject, due to the fact that there is no foundation. There's no reason for an investigation either. The German Federal Office for the Environment made a fact sheet that was published in the Internet where they came to the same conclusion as we did. The German Aerospace Center has been undertaking measurements for years where they measure the air quality, and the results also show that there is nothing. We have frequently done chemical tests. In this case, nitric oxides, nitric acid, sulfates, and soot particles. Also, organic compounds were tested, and we tested the whole particle range, from nano-sized particles to 100 micrometer-sized particles, and the ice water concentration and the characteristics of cirrus clouds through in-situ measurements with measuring devices that were either installed on the wings of the plane or in the aircraft's fuselage. Have you ever looked for aluminum, barium or strontium during your tests? We didn't look specifically for aluminum, barium or strontium because we do not know how these substances should get up there. Therefore, we haven't found them, but we wouldn't expect them to be there either. I was really surprised. The German Aerospace Center didn't test for the suspected chemicals. The, the chemtrail conspiracy, I don't frankly believe at all. Do you know a study where aluminum and barium were directly tested out of a contrail? No. I don't know any study like that. I would say it's not done. I, I cannot prove that it's not done. None of the leading institutions for contrail research did any testing for the suspected chemicals. While official authorities, the media, NGOs and politicians, in terms of chemtrails, all refer to these institutions, it is hardly a surprise that from official side there are no indications of chemtrails, whereas chemtrails have not been disproven either. We also have a measuring network called NOBEL that measures the air quality all over Switzerland. The chemical composition of fine dust is routinely evaluated by NABEL. Individual components are continuously determined. We limit ourselves to individual components that are of special interest in terms of air purity. Aluminum and barium are not measured within the normal monitoring. We conducted two extensive studies to determine fine dust sources. 
We undertook a study in 1998-1999 and repeated this study 10 years later at different locations. We conducted a detailed chemical characterization of fine dusts. In cities, the aluminum content is slightly higher than in the countryside because there are additional sources, such as construction sites or the swill of dust from road traffic. With barium, we see a quite clear difference between cities and rural areas. Barium is an element which is emitted by traffic, not through the exhaust pipes, but rather by abrasion particles, for example, by the abrasion from brakes. Barium concentrations are significantly higher along traffic routes than in other suburban or rural areas. With flight traffic as a source of emission, we actually had to expect at ground level that spatially these emissions would be homogeneously distributed, but then wouldn't expect any strong differences between rural and urban locations if flight traffic was a main source. We have neither the imperative nor any reason to measure the substances mentioned in this theory, simply because there is no indication that there's any probability of the theory being correct. I visited several cities in Germany to do educational work on HARP and chemtrails, and finally together with activists from SauberHimmel.de, we started a protest by putting a 16-square-meter banner posing the question why Greenpeace is not active against depleted munition, HARP, and chemtrails. We have asked meteorologists and leading experts in these fields about chemtrails, and there was a consensus that they do not exist, that they are typical contrails. We didn't conduct our own measurements. We discussed it with experts, and there was a clear tendency that if there are new results or data, we are willing to consider them. It shouldn't be that the media, politicians, the military, and also environmental groups don't do their own investigation, but blindly trust scientists who do not test for the suspected chemicals. That doesn't make any sense. How are things looking, Eve? It's looking very good. 
This filter is mounted. Cool. Yeah, it's fixed. And after the flight, we can easily dismantle it, put it into a bag, and then I can take it back to the lab, where we can analyze it. Perfect. Because someone has a patent, we're going to go out and, and ask someone to spend thousands, maybe millions of dollars on an aircraft program to go search for aluminum? Yeah, it's, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. I've um, interacted with um, Gentrail believers um, since about 1999. And I believe this, this coincided with an experiment we had in um, um, 1996 called Success. One of the things we were looking for was uh, to fly through contrails to study the ice crystals uh, formed in the contrails and see how, how they change with time as the contrail grows. We realized then that, yeah, there's, there's a lot of spreading going on from these contrails. We weren't spraying anything. We were just flying these aircraft uh, to do a study. And for this experiment that I mentioned, the, the oval contrail, that was um, the plane went back and sampled its own contrail. You know, just ice crystals. It's not anything, and they've found of just like cirrus clouds. Um, so it was not a not a thing. I, it just so happened that the next year, this chemtrail phenomenon just went <laughs> went ballistic. Maybe it went ballistic because the researchers in this project indeed found higher concentrations of aluminum in the contrails and in aircraft exhaust. As early as 1994, scientists frequently detected barium, aluminum, carbon, and titanium in the vicinity of cirrus clouds over Colorado and Wyoming. They suggested that these elements were related to air transport sources. I asked myself, why were they looking for aluminum and barium back then? But not anymore since then. It is obviously not that absurd for these substances to be found at such heights. Sauberer Himmel a German organization of chemtrail activists conducted 74 rainwater tests all over Germany. 43 of the samples contained aluminum. 54 of the samples contained barium. For me, as a scientist, it is important to measure, and the only measurement that is relevant for me is the assessment of human beings. How can we show that all of us are being poisoned by aluminum and are being poisoned every day? So we experience difficulties, first in the USA. Many laboratories received letters from the FDA telling them not to test for aluminum anymore. This was already an indication. It happened three to four years ago. And then the aluminum, which we breathe in, is nano-sized, which means that these are tiny particles, which cannot be measured with ordinary laboratory methods. And therefore, we didn't realize the severity for a long time. Because of the limited laboratory methods, it didn't show up in hair analyses or in blood or serum analyses until we came across a new method called apheresis. Apheresis is a blood cleaning method whereby all the blood is led through a filter system and all pollutants in the blood are filtered out. 
And when nano-sized particles get close to the filter, they contract and form lumps and can then be shown with ordinary measurement methods. Well, what we have found, we have sent over 200 patients overseas from the U.S., is that the aluminum content, namely the total physical stress from aluminum, is a hundred times larger than from all other metals. My first uh, real stop for the film was in Mount Shasta, and Mount Shasta is in Northern California, and it's far removed from any industry, so literally there should be very little metal. Although aluminum is uh, very abundant in the earth, it is not supposed to be an an element in free form. So uh, what they had found, for instance, Mount Shasta, which normally should have about seven parts per billion of aluminum, they found 61 thousand one hundred parts per billion aluminum that's thousands of times higher than normal amounts it's no proof that the aluminum comes from this jet Mm -hmm. on trials can you say about that well you know i i beg to differ i beg i believe that it does prove if there's a helicopter 30 feet above your house and they're dumping something out that's falling on your house and you test that substance and you find out that it's very toxic, I mean, how could somebody deny really what's going on? So, yeah. And if it didn't come from the aerosol spraying, where did it come from? So far, nobody has been able to prove that they've come from anywhere else. Well, what it looked like was uh, just uh, like cotton candy. It's quite, it, it, it goes quite hard, if, if that makes sense. And if you listen to it, it rips. It's got a velcro sort of a sound to it. They come in nanoparticles, and those particles make up what they call an array, meaning they go in a straight line, and they connect. Mm-hmm. La Côte d'Azur, sun, beach, and holidays. But not for me. I followed up on a phone call from a French-Italian activist. I think it is the duty of the authorities to give us answers because we are doing the job that should be done by the authorities. We have the common people paying for analyses while the authorities should be doing it and should be giving us answers. So far we have analyses from the rain, from the soil, but how to make the link to the plains? Therefore, what Bernhard gives us is exceptional. My name is Bernhard Tellies. I'm now a 70-year-old man, and I'm specialized in inorganic chemistry. In 1991, I created this company called Analytica with the hope of doing something for the protection of our environment. At the end of last year, in 2012, I received a call from a lady 
by the name of Evelyn Dumas, who lives in the center of France. And she told me an incredible story of filaments falling from the sky. I was a little surprised and doubtful, but I said, yes, if you send me the filaments in sufficient quantity, I can try to analyze them. And the whole adventure began. This is one of the first filament samples from Miss Dumas in the center of France. This is from the northeast of France, from a certain Mrs. Duclaud, with whom Mrs. Dumas communicated over the internet. This here is from the Lumkin family, from another corner of France. And this here is from Mrs. Laxonaire, not far from here on the coast. After a month, I realize that the problem is serious. Four different people from four different corners of France talking about the same thing and who send me samples which seem very similar. I analyzed these four samples. I wrote a report that was, in my opinion, very profound, substantial, and precise. I still have some samples, and I'm willing to share them with my peers. I discovered that all contained a category of compounds known as phthalates. Today, 80% of all plasticizers used worldwide to produce PVC are phthalates. This big family of chemical compounds is divided into three major groups that differ in the length of the molecular chain, each with its own function. Phthalates with a very short molecular chain are typically used as solvents, whereas the others are used as plasticizers. Long phthalates are not harmful chemical substances and can be safely utilized. Short phthalates are classified as toxic to reproduction, and its reutilization is strictly controlled. Phthalates do not dissolve. They fall from the sky on the ground, where they should not be. Not at all. You have to imagine whole of France is covered with these filaments, so it is not negligible at all. We now know what is inside. We have known about the issue of aluminum and barium occurrence for a long time. Here the anorganic chemistry shows that there are still other pollutants. There is a problem. There is a problem. The actual work is much more serious than we'd like to admit because it indicates that the general population is subject to this. There are a host of serious health issues that are implicated most directly uh, with the research. And the research is indicating an exact uh, match and correspondence between the nature of the physical materials I'm speaking of, in particular, in particular the filament uh, material that I spoke of earlier, an exact match between that environmental type sample and samples which uh, uh, come from uh, the human body as well as cultures. The, the agents that I'm seeing, unfortunately, have literally created a condition that is being classified as a new condition, a new condition of ill health. The, the term is, is, of Morgellons is used for it. My name is Rosweta, and I live here at Lake Constance. 
and I have come down with Morgellons for one and a half years. It starts with tingling and itching of the body, and after a while, you can see that um, out of the fingers, for example, or out of other parts of the body, the fibers are coming out of the skin, plastic fibers. It's terrifying when you see that. You don't know what it's all about and how it works, and you feel totally sick. The doctors always say that it doesn't exist, that you're crazy, and discount it as a delusional parasitosis and send you to the psychiatrist. You stand there not knowing what to do. You get sicker and sicker. It gets worse, but no doctor is doing anything, is investigating or is helping. We have analyzed the fibers in the early phases, when it first becomes apparent and known in literature. They are protein fibers or substances. Earlier it was assumed that they were parasites, but we didn't find any DNA in them, a sign that it is something organic. There are different theories where they come from. The fallout from the chemtrails consists of plastic nanoparticles, which are coated with aluminum, titanium, and barium. We know this because we had it analyzed in a nano lab. Every environmental authority could spend their money on that and make the identical assessment for about 10,000 euros. We suppose that the inhaled plastic particles are the cause of the Morgellons disease. If we use our common sense, the link is totally clear between the chemtrails and the aluminum content in the air, in the diseases mainly of children. When babies are born, they do not have a blood-brain barrier, any protection. The inhaled aluminum ends up directly in the brain and is one of the main reasons for the whole neurological problems we see with kids. The number of children with neurological problems is rising exponentially in a clear correlation with the spraying in the sky. There is a lot of circumstantial evidence, but it would be relatively cheap if any government agency just flew behind the planes and collected the air. But so far, it is left to individuals like us to spend their own resources on providing the evidence, and that's a scandal. We do not have the slightest indications that chemtrails are real. There are only statements based on fantasy, and there's no point in following up on such statements. Putting all speculations aside, I finally wanted a convincing answer.
fly into this trail would be good. Yeah, but it is higher than 2,000 feet. We check if that's possible. Can you hear me back there? Do you feel comfortable? What are we doing? If we can't get higher, then we go down. Then everything would be a waste of time. It is even higher than 25,000 feet. Can we go higher? Just 1,000 feet. Let's check what's happening. Here is nothing. We have to take a decision. it by a thousand meters. We have to get higher somehow. Spraying chemicals into the atmosphere could lead to drought, to floods, to ozone depletion, to vanishing blue skies and less solar power, to environmental consequences, and to the military use of the technology. But it might also save the planet. The Princeton mathematician Johnny von Neumann, uh, in an article called Can We Survive Technology, wrote that climate control through managing solar radiation was not necessarily a rational undertaking. In his opinion, climate control could alter the entire globe, shatter the existing political order, merge each nation's affairs with those of every other, and lend itself to forms of warfare as yet unimagined. He compared climate control to the th threat of nuclear proliferation. But if a powerful country decides our national interest is at stake and, you know, our, it's an existential issue for our country, so we need to do this, so we're going to do this. Our war on terror begins with al-Qaeda, but it does not end there. We saw the United States do that in the invasion of Iraq, where you had the whole UN framework with weapons inspections, and then one country says, well, look, we think it's a national threat, we're going to go do this, regardless of what this international agreement says. And uh, I think the same problem will arise again with these geoengineering options. This image of a technocrat pulling the levers of weather control appeared on the cover of Collier's magazine in 1954. We were in a weather control race with the Soviet Union at the time, and an Air Force general had just announced to the press that the nation that controls the weather will control the world. The magazine article inside by President Eisenhower's weather advisor, Harold Orville, provided detailed ways of conducting weather warfare. The first 
documented applications of weather warfare was during the Vietnam War using very old-fashioned methods of cloud seeding to disrupt the supply routes of the Viet Cong. As a result of the international uproar over Project Popeye, on the 10th of December 1976, the United Nations passed General Assembly Resolution 3172. It explicitly banned the use of weather modification in warfare. The weather wars were over, at least temporarily. Now, the fact that there was an international agreement is an acknowledgement that the weapon systems actually exist. The U.S. Air Force, in a document entitled Owning the Weather in 2025, states in no uncertain terms, in 2025, U.S. aerospace forces can own the weather Weather modification offers the warfighter a wide range of possible options to defeat or coerce an adversary. The intervention could be designed to modify the weather in a number of ways, such as influencing clouds and precipitation, storm intensity, climate, space, or fog. With few exceptions, they involve infusing either energy or chemicals into the meteorological process in the right way at the right place and time. So we know that nuclear weapons exist. We are informed as to the destructive capabilities of, of nuclear weapons. But when uh, the issue of uh, environmental modification techniques is raised, uh, public opinion is totally unaware that these weapon systems actually exist. They don't, they don't know that they exist. Okay? And, and they're, not being, they're not being discussed. Uh, they're not being discussed in, in the universities. They're not being discussed by the media. And, and uh, the, the extent to which they can actually undermine human life on, on planet Earth is not addressed. We now have HARP and HARP has the capabilities of modifying selectively uh, weather patterns in different parts of the world. Floods, uh, hurricanes, earthquakes, and so on. Again, no actual evidence in the public domain of uh, these techniques having been used uh, against uh, an enemy or either for defensive or offensive purposes. nation, however large or small, wealthy or poor, can escape the impact of climate change. Rising sea levels threaten every coastline. More powerful storms and floods threaten every continent. More frequent droughts and crop failures breed hunger and conflict in places where hunger and conflict already thrive. security and stability of each nation and all peoples, our prosperity, our health, and our safety are in jeopardy. Each time the, the, 
the climate change um, conferences meet, there is a refusal on the part of climate specialists and scientists to actually address the issue of climatic modification and the use of climate for military use. Concern that in the sample of air where we collected the 14 liters, there is a signal of barium which is 10 times higher than the blank value. And we can clearly see a difference there. In the 14 liters of air, we detected 8 micrograms which was in that filter. And if you calculate that, then you are approximately at 5 micrograms per cubic meter. What surely can be added is that the sample volume was quite small with these 14 liters. And to confirm this result, which I think should be possible, we would need to take a bigger sample to be at around 50 liters, and then chances are very good of confirming this result. Finding barium despite such a small sample, even in this low concentration, surprised me because barium does not naturally occur in this altitude. They're using planes, they're using aluminum, and they're using barium. And it's time that we stand up and stop this experiment. This is about our life. This is about the flora, the fauna. Everything on Earth is being affected. When are we going to wake up and actually understand that we are all one? Please inform yourself about what is happening to our children and our future. This is your planet All of those who don't believe all of those who are critical of this issue understand that there's a whole growing army of us out there and we are attempting to warn the public. this planet before it is too late. This needs to stop. If 
I just want the blue sky back that we used to have in the past, and not such white skies like we have currently. It's our sky, it's our sun, it pertains to everyone, you know what I mean? We need to be aware of this because it's, we're, it's death from above. Hopefully we'll, we'll be able to raise awareness of the chemtrails just that little bit more. And we are human race that requires the sun, requires the earth, requires water and requires air for survival. I welcome you here in the EU Parliament as a representative of the European Green Party, in my case as a representative of the German Green Party. With nuclear energy, with GM food, with geoengineering, they hope to save this planet. I think it always depends on an active civil society to reveal these things, to collect information, to warn of the dangers, to force governments to deal with this in honesty. And this experiment that has already been started, it is not that we only talk about research. Rather, it is already in use. The sky here is already being treated in a certain way. And therefore, I'm very glad that you are all here to deal with those impacts, with the consequences of geoengineering, with climate control, and with the prospect of handling climate change with geoengineering, that they could reduce the CO2 concentration or that they could stop the acidification of the oceans. And at the same time, there is also a military interest in the technology. And therefore, I'm very glad that people are dealing with this. In the early years of my work, one of the things that I did was basically chronicle and document those parties that expressed an interest in my work. There is a paper on there, I believe the title is List of Visitors. It took place over a period of several months. It took place before certain security measures and firewalls have been put in place since then uh, to basically protect that flow of information. There is a clear documented interest at the highest level of government, congressional, on down, Pentagon, on down through all defense contractors, all health organizations, as well as media organizations, that they do and have demonstrated an interest in the work, a rather serious interest in the work, it appears. The contradiction is that if any or all of these same entities are approached in a public fashion to address the issue, then there is no issue, is what we hear, and that everything is perfectly normal. And there is no interest, and there is no attention that needs to be devoted to the subject. If those that have been called upon to respond to the need for investigation and inquiry and relief fail in their duty and obligation, then we as citizens must assume that role to the best of our ability because we are stewards of this planet. We don't own this planet. We must care for this planet.
text message received today at 5.56 p.m. Matt, here it is. I just want to tell you that we got the permission to fly at any altitude. Ladies and gentlemen, I welcome you to this info meeting. Despite persistent trails in the sky, we were unable to confirm the first test results. At 8,500 meters above sea level, the air traffic controller wouldn't allow us to get higher, and we were unable to fly into a trail again. Although we took up 70 liters through the filter, the analysis showed sodium, potassium, and ferrous oxide. But unlike the first time, no barium. Further measurements would be necessary because many questions still remain open. Questions that should be answered by public authorities and by scientists, and not by us, the citizens. What we know is that the phenomenon is real, and the question is, do we still want a man-made covered sky on allegedly sunny days? As for myself, not for a moment more. Therefore, I think it is time for an official and independent scientific investigation. After the film had been finally completed, I heard about a sensational study of the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. My name is Ulrich Lohmann. I'm a professor for atmospheric physics here at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, and my special field is clouds. We know that flight traffic is growing by about 5%, and because flight traffic increases, it is also important to perform measurements of aircraft engine exhaust. We know that aircraft engine exhausts contain soot and particulate matter, but we actually wanted to know the chemical composition, and such measurements are very rare. Two years ago, we had the possibility to measure aircraft engine exhaust at Zurich Airport, together with the Federal Office of Civil Aviation. And there, we could basically measure the chemical composition of aircraft engine exhaust from certain turbines. And what we found were mainly soot particulates, pure carbon that is also emitted by cars. But we also found metals. In the aircraft engine exhaust, we detected 16 different metals. 
Among others, we also found aluminum and barium. And as I said, they come from the kerosene, from engine lubricant oil, and aluminum can also come from the turbines. We made measurements from the jet fuel as well and noticed in the range of parts per millions that the jet fuel contained aluminum and barium. Aluminum and barium in the jet fuel? For over 10 years, this was, according to scientists, entirely impossible and absurd. And now it seems that these toxic substances are really dispersed into the atmosphere without any regulations. With the rise in air traffic, these substances will increasingly affect the environment and our health unless public authorities will finally act in the public interest to stop this pollution for the benefit of life on planet Earth. It is in any case urgent to regulate aircraft engine exhaust. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history, great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening and namaste.